Hi everyone, Josh Legard from Kickoff Labs here. We are the premier audience growth platform when you need leads. Today on the pod, I'm talking to Victor Maceas from Santana Snacks. I love this interview because there's so much you can learn and use in your own campaigns. We talked about how they built a strong pre-launch brand, how they got Facebook ads down to 30 cents per lead before they even had a product, how they built a reward system that encourages a strong viral boost, and their experience of going on Shark Tank after having run a successful Kickoff Labs campaign. While I'm recording this, they're still in the middle of their newest campaign, and I'm sure the numbers have only gone up since we discussed them. We'll share them as we get them. But for now, let's dive in and chat with Victor. Thanks for being here. Excited to be here. Victor started a new brand called Santana Snacks. They've been running pre-launch campaign for this brand on Kickoff Labs, and they've collected over 17,000 email addresses so far. And they'd previously run a campaign on Kickoff Labs as well that also had success and a successful Kickstarter. But Victor, before we get into the specific campaigns, I'd love to know a little bit about- I mean, I say serial entrepreneur. I was that kid who was five years old selling candy door to door as a way to make money. Always been doing things on the side. Had a couple of projects before this. Me and a good friend of mine had a keto cookie. So we were the world's first keto cookie. We actually used Kickoff Labs for that campaign. Uh, we raised over six figures on Kickstarter, and we even landed a deal on Shark Tank. So my background is entrepreneurship, e-commerce, and then making better for you. That's really awesome. So I want to talk about that for a second. Your previous campaign, was it smaller than this one at, on, on the Kickoff Lab side of things? Yes, it was a while back, but yeah. So basically with this, I've been able to take what worked and pour gasoline on it. Right. So that the other business we can get into it too, had a good run and mm -hmm. the end, it didn't work out, but I learned a lot and that's, this mm -hmm. is my second swing. Cool. Yeah. I'd love to get into what worked and what, what didn't work. I'm just personally curious. What was the experience like going on Shark Tank? Um, how did they find you? Like, how, did, how does that all work? Oh my goodness. So it's, take all of these heightened emotions, excitement, anxiety, and just heighten them up to 10 and mix them all together. And that's what Shark Tank was. People kept telling us, you guys should be on the show. You guys should be on the show. So one day we decided to go to a casting call. We think we're super early. There's like a thousand people in line, Josh. Okay. It's like an American oh, wow. idol competition. So we're there and there's all sorts of characters. We were there for about 13 hours in the casting call. And what I'll share is we knew they were going to be exhausted with the producers. So how do we get them excited with say, here's why you should not invest in us. And their eyes get all big. We have no baking experience. We have no food experience. <laughs> but here's what we do have. We had, we had numbers, right? We had stats. We had traction. And that's what got us on the show. So you don't need expertise. You just need some traction. Were you working for the 13 hours? Were you just using that time to figure out what your pitch was going to be? And then you realized like you ended up on this pitch of, we don't know anything, but. <laughs> exactly. We, so yet you had a, about a minute. And this whole time we have cookies and we're left trying to uh, find producers that look hungry. And we're like, hey, we're not bribing you, but here's some cookies. <laughs> so we're like ahead of time. We've just got time to kill. And yeah, so we just focused on honing our pitch. I think it was no more than a minute. And then we pitched the producers and that's what got, at least got our foot in the door. Cool. Let's talk about what worked and what didn't work in the context of your newest campaign, Santana Snacks. So first of all, why don't you give the pitch for Santana Snacks? what it is yeah. and, and what's, uh, what's so cool about it. So Santana Snacks is a line of clean, organic, premium snacks that are based on the Latino experience. So a lot of first-generation Latinos had the experience of seeing like the corn man that would sell like the corn on the corner of the street or 
the letero, aka the ice cream man. And there, there's these really indulgent snacks, chips with hot sauce, a tostiloco. So they're very cultural snacks that evoke a sense of nostalgia. But the truth is they're filled with a lot of junk, right? Like GMOs, artificial ingredients, refined sugars. I said, how can I take this emotion, this snack that we love, but make it clean and make it better for you? And that's the vision. The vision is sharing this love, this community with the world and doing it in a way that's authentic to those flavors. So that's what's unique about it. And, and that's why we're here. So it's organic, it's gluten-free, it's vegan, and they taste really good. Organic, gluten-free, vegan, but with that, what we'd call the U.S. like that comfort food look to it that people recognize. And like, oh, I remember that. Like, I want to eat that. Like, it's the, the mac and cheese, but a healthy version of mac and cheese. Like 100%. That. Exactly. So it, it's the yeah. rich flavors, right? We have chili lime. And it's coated with flavors. So, so it's something that definitely feels mm-hmm. indulgent. It, it's clean junk food. Yep. Very cool. And I assume you've already started producing some of these. Are you waiting for the Kickstarter to produce these the snacks? We are. So I have a team that's helping with R&D. We are mm-hmm. currently doing benchtop trials. So basically, mm-hmm. does it taste good? What are the flavor profiles? And at the same time, we're trying to get into the right contract manufacturer. So something that I realized is, let's assume there's 20 manufacturers but I want to do organic. Now there's five manufacturers. Okay, I'm small and I, don't, I can't do huge runs. Now there's two manufacturers. That's, first thing has been taste and we're getting ready to do product trials. Part of the reason why uh, we're doing the Kickstarter. Very cool. So let's go back a step. Why did you know you wanted to use Kickoff Labs again? So you used it in the first campaign. Like what led you to want to set up a campaign with Kickoff Labs this time around? The viral component is huge. It's just, it's such a game changer, especially if you nail, and I can talk about our approach, but if you nail the messaging, yep. reach the right people, it makes it so easy to share to the point where in one week we got over 10,000 email signups. <laughs> it was just, mm-hmm. it was happening so fast that I, it was, it was pretty incredible to see, but that's what I love. I love the viral component and how easy it is to share. Very cool. We love hearing that, obviously. What? So what do you think it is? You talked about before, like there were things you learned from the first campaign about what worked and what didn't work. So what are some of the things that didn't work promoting the first campaign that you've tried to avoid with this campaign to start collecting the email list? I think what's different or why I guess what's better this time is I'm crystal clear on my target market. Now, in the past, It was a keto cookie, so we could say anybody that's interested in keto, but it was still broad. Here, my target market is me. First generation Latino or childhood immigrants, right? So even in our targeting, the first of all, the product that we created uh, was based on surveys. So it wasn't just me making assumptions, right? I surveyed like over 150 people. What are they interested in? And I reverse engineered the product. So when you said you did the survey and you got 150 people like, did you use a different tool for the survey? Like, how did you find the 150 people? Because I find people often struggle with even that step of, but how do I find the 150 people? So I think the first thing you did, which is great, which is you had a really specific idea of a persona. You're like, the persona is me. It's first generation. It's people who are into this. It's like, you really nailed like a smaller persona. So I think that's a great first step. But then knowing that, how did you validate uh, with 150 surveys? Yeah. Frankly, one of the blessings of, of growing up Latino is that you have a ton of cousins, and a ton of family. So it was going to family parties. It was also asking at the university uh, that I consult with and just looking, you know, if I went to concerts, I would just be asking. And these were, at first, they were very open-ended questions. I wanted to let people mm-hmm. talk. I wanted to see what themes emerged. 
then it became more specific of say, okay, so you're interested in clean, better snacks. Great. Pure six different categories of snacks. Vote. Then I'm looking at data. Okay, so interesting. Chips. All right, chips come up. Um, I was actually mm -hmm. going to make a different snack, but chips were just so profound in the results that I went that way. Mm -hmm. Then we do flavor profiles and we do pricing, right? Then we do, I want to under, understand what music they listen to. So all of this was the foundation mm -hmm. that helped with messaging and helped with mm -hmm. prizes. And it also helped with ads and targeting. What I want to make sure people hear from what you're saying is that you're not doing the surveys going around to people saying, yeah or nay, should I create a clean snack food company? Because you'll just get a bunch of junk responses, even if you're asking it open-ended. People are like, yeah, I love clean snack foods or like this. You're getting much more specific. You're saying, are you interested, yes or no, in clean snacks? Okay, you are interested. Are you interested in chips, or cookies, or I assume like you listed a bunch of options to make people choose and force them to be like, what is the most interesting to you? And then down, like you said, to the flavor profile. Like, okay, so what kind of flavors are interested? So you're not caring, like asking, oh, should I do this? Which most people will be like either, yeah, it's a great idea or no, but like you can't trust that it's a good idea or not. <laughs> like you're getting specific. Is there a market for this specific product I'm surveying you about and understand like, are people interested in that? these questions? hundred percent. They want to lead the witness. I wanted to, to tell me what they wanted and then create what they wanted. Exactly. Yeah. And I think that's the thing that some people miss is like they'll either lead the witness or they'll be way, way too broad about a product idea. And then becomes really hard to message and target, as you said, like you used all this information to develop the messaging on the page. I'm curious then, so what was your next step after you did this initial surveying and you came up with this information? What did you do next? Yeah, so step one is knowing that. Step two is, okay, so we understand the problem. Now let's work on creating a solution. So that's where I started working with the team with R&D. Some of, these are some of the relationships I had back with the cookie company and started working on some concepts for flavors, right? And I would keep going back to my target market and ask them. I think a big part of what worked in the past and what works now is that I'm bringing people along the journey. So even on our social, I'm doing weekly updates. So what, here's what I learned. Oh my gosh, I got this flavor and it sucks. <laughs> like just being very transparent, very authentic about this whole journey. And it became about creating it. But the pre-launch, I think, is one of the things that most entrepreneurs miss, right? So many times, and I've done that in the past, build this business. You say, all right, world, here I am. And crickets, mm -hmm. nothing. So before I, I went all in, I wanted to test demand. Okay, so I have the assumption that it's going to be a chip. I'm working with R&D to come up with flavors. Then I start creating some concepts. What are the bags going to look like? Who am I mm -hmm. talking to? And what I did differently than in the past also is the first round, which you can do, I bootstrapped as much as I could. I wrote the copy. I did a lot of the design or me and my business partner. Mm -hmm. This time I worked with like a very good copywriter just because now I understand the value of it. And mm -hmm. I worked with a great designer. So I wanted it to be very polished and it all became about the pre-launch, which I can go in, in deeper, but I wanted to mm -hmm. make sure that I had a concept before I, I move forward. Yeah, so I was going to ask about that. I was going to ask about if you can get into detail about the copy and the design. So I'm looking at the site, which we'll share, um, which we'll share links to, obviously, and some pictures of the design with this episode. But just to describe it verbally, um, on the left side of the page, I'm looking at two different flavors that you're showing, like a sea salt chip back and a chili and lime chip back. Um, and then the copy says, discover more at first crunch. 
Um, who says you have to give up favorite Antojitos, yep. Antojitos to be healthy. Indulging clean organic snacks that satisfy your craving and fuel your fuego. Uh, choose salad with Santana snacks for free samples. What I'm gathering from the copy, and I'm just going to make a couple of assumptions here and you can tell me if I'm right or wrong. Um, what I'm gathering the copy is you mix in some Spanish with, at least in the English version, there is a Spanish version as well. So there's an indicator at the top of the button, I would say, that says version in Espanol. Um, and so that clearly indicates that like you're going after a Latino market to me. But then the second thing you do to maybe narrow the market down even further, which would say, oh, like I might look at it and say, oh, I'm not the market for it, is you're mixing in the Spanish words. And you'd say, because I didn't even know how to pronounce the antihotos <laughs> in, in your copy. But like your target market, right? They're obviously going to they're obviously going to read that and it's going to resonate with them, even if they read the English version. Like, oh, this is for this is really written for us. And so obviously, are those choices intentional? They were, like you're, oh yeah, and I gotta be honest, I was really nervous to to do that at first, because, you know, like in the big picture, this brand is very inclusive, right? So I I want to take this cultural aspect and share it with the world, right? But in marketing, one thing that I learned is you need to be very clear. So I was I forgot what, but I think it, it's called almost like an allergen, and an allergen is you want somebody to look at it and know it's for me right away. And it, it removes any vagueness from the um, process. So even our ads, they have a little dash of Spanish. And mm -hmm. all that, it's almost like uh, if you come across it, this is me, I, I, right? First generation, a lot of us speak, it's called Spanglish. It's a mix of English and Spanish. And that's drop. Our lead acquisition costs are insane. They're like 30 cents. Like we're getting insane lead acquisition costs. And it's because we're targeting the right people with the right interest, with the right offer, with the right messaging. No, I, I think that's I think that's really key. Like I tell people all the time, you're much better off if your landing page uh, and the copy on the page both has a target, but then also clearly shows it. Clearly, if you look at it, you know that like you might know it's not for you. Like the, so, you don't want the wrong people signing up because the worst thing you can do is build a list with all of the wrong people signing up. Because then ultimately, when you guys go for sale or you launch the Kickstarter, like you're going to have a really low conversion rate at the list, but like you're doing everything you can to make sure that like that person, that first generation is signing up, that they know it, it's for them, but not maybe for other people. And some people will say, well, it's just, it's just snack food. Like I could have anybody buy it. It's like, yeah, of course you could have anybody could walk in and buy uh, and buy this food, but it's not your strongest customers. And especially when you're launching a new business, you want to find those like strongest customers. Am I right? hundred percent. The early adopters, that's what it is. And yes, people are going to, everybody is food if you think about it, right? But with this, yeah. especially being young and scrappy, who is our influencer, the one that's going to drive the purchase, mm -hmm. the one that's going to spread the word, our evangelists, we're ta talking directly to them. Uh, and so I think that's a good point. That's something for people to think about when they're coming up with their customer personas. Don't just come up with, a general customer persona, but the persona of somebody who is potentially your influencer when you're coming up with a launch campaign, because you want to make sure you're really nailing that person that's going to go out and be able to have, tell their cousins, tell their friends, hey, this is neat. Like I tried this and it's really good because when you launch and they have some and they're trying it, you want to make sure you're sharing with people that like are connected to five more of your target audience. 100%. 100%. Uh, Cool. And then the design obviously is uh, is really strong. I looked at this and I said like, I said, wow, they really customized the Kickoff Labs page. In fact, I thought it was a custom page at first when I looked at it, but you guys did stick within Kickoff Labs page and built it. Do you have a designer do that for you guys? I, I do. I did. And 
part of the prerequisite for getting this designer was that they could work with Kickoff Labs. So I just, I wanted it to be as streamlined as possible, but I also wanted it to be very mm -hmm. polished because it's the first impression people have of the brand. And just as the copy, like I mentioned, has a sprinkle of Spanish, the colors mm -hmm. are there for a reason. The bags are designed yep. in a way for a reason. I wanted to make that first impact really impactful. How did you find the person to do the design? I found this designer on 99designs. On 99designs? Yep. Okay. Have you had luck with using 99designs or other design services in the past? I have. I've used... You, you for other projects. I've used Upwork. I've, yeah, I've used even Fiverr for some projects. So I'm really big on just outsourcing as much as possible. Something that I did do differently and better this time is I focused a lot on the fundamentals. So I have a brand strategy guide. I have brand guidelines. So at, and I work with a different designer for that, somebody that understood my target market. So that mm -hmm. when I outsource it to other people, say, oh, it's almost like the architecture has been designed and now other people can come and do the construction. So it, it improves the quality of design and the alignment with the brand. Cool. So you mentioned, you mentioned through this in the copy, you said, even in our ads, we're mixing in the Spanish words in the ads. Can we let's talk now about like how you're using advertising to promote this campaign? Oh yeah. We started first with word of mouth, right? Our existing network. And that started to spread the word. But it wasn't until we started running ads that it floated in popularity. So we're doing book and we're doing Instagram. We tested a lot of different audiences. Actually, we tested a Spanish only campaign. It didn't perform like we expected. I think that there's some tweaks to do. But because we're on a timeline, there was some segments that just exploded and took off. And we just decided to focus on that. So that was on our ads. What's really helped and interestingly enough, my assumption is after all of the iOS updates, that ads were not going to work as well. The ads, if anything, were going to perform worse than when I ran the campaign last time. But what's helping is we're doing broad. It's funny. It's like a, we're talking about being specific and now I'm talking about being broad, but broad in this sense. I'm targeting people based on their interests. What's the media that they like? What's the music that they listen to? It's more simple if I'm talking targeting a Latino because guess what? If you live in the U.S. and you like certain music, chances are you're in my target market. So by doing that, I've come across just some segments that are just very engaged. Our conversion rate is pretty insane. So yeah, so that's what we've been doing with ads. I think that the point here that I'm hearing is like the ads that are working for you guys are figuring out the right audience by using your persona, but not using... Maybe the parts of the persona you would assume of, oh, people that have an interest in like food or a foodie or like some like healthy eating or something like you found is there's this other characteristic that you were asking in the surveys about what music you like. And you just knew personally, it's like, okay, here's people in my community listen to this music. So you went after that as your way to get around the harder um, targeting problems that Facebook has now since the iOS updates. And you're saying as a proxy for my customers, this other trait that I, I'm pretty certain about can find the customers that will like this product is what you're doing. A hundred percent. And I've actually tested healthy eating and it, it does okay, but uh, not, nothing compared to that other element, the other proxy, like you mentioned. And I'm just curious in the specifics on the type of ads, are you running like video ads to people like with the music in the video ads, since you took mentioning people that like the music or are you running just static ads or carousels? What types of ads are working the best for you guys today? Yes, it's a simple static ad. So we tried different images. Um, what worked best are images with high contrast. So like a light blue black background with a bright red 
something where it pops, the ads have been super simple. It's really the copy. So it's the copy again, speaks directly. We use the word antojitos. We use the word salud, which means health. We use the word fuego. So it's just these little things where you'll click because, and then the page aligns with it. And that's where our conversions are high. As we start to get more samples, I do want to throw in more UGC. I think that'll work very well. But for now, it's just it's been pretty simple in terms of, of how we've mm -hmm. laid these out. Cool. So you're not, so it really is just like a simple static images with like bright copy that aligns with the messages that are on the landing page that we read already. So you're taking some of that copy, reusing it in the ads. And then, and that, this is a point people miss too, is like the ads are well aligned with the landing page. I assume as you test messages in the ads, then you're updating the copy on the landing page, maybe as well as you go. Exactly. And it also, it's a call to action. So our, we're offering people free samples. Right. So if they click, they can get samples. Now on the back end, they do have to work for it a little bit. They have to share and, and mm -hmm. spread the word with a certain amount of people. And then they get samples. Um, after mm -hmm. that, they get like a swag bag, they get merch. So it's a combination of that with the right offer. So who doesn't want free chips within our target market? That's why it's working as well. Cool. And I do want to get to that. I want to talk about the sharing and the rewards and the samples part of the campaign. Aside from friends and family talked about, are there any other types of promotion at the top of the funnel you're doing that you feel has worked really well for this campaign? I'd say those are the main. We are in the process of doing PR outreach. So our Kickstarter is going to launch pretty soon. I scheduled a couple of interviews with some uh, like business journals. So I'm taking the entrepreneurship side. I'm also taking the organic side. So it's PR. Um, we're also doing outreach to influencers. So we had an event. So if you're familiar, are you, have you ever heard of a quinceañera? You know what that is? Okay. So what some women are doing now, it's called a dulce. So basically when they turn 30, they're throwing another party for themselves. And I had an opportunity to be a sponsor. So be a padrino. And um, there was a lot of influencers and this whole doble quince is being documented. And it's going to be on a pretty big platform. I've done that. I haven't seen the ROI on it yet. That's more of a long play. Uh, but I am doing multi-channels. The mistake I made in the past was I would just do one. I would say, we're going to do ads. And then mm -hmm. what happens? Ads mess up, everything stops. So we have multiple yep. things happening at the same time. Cool. So you are testing other channels. Sounds like some influencer marketing, trying to align with some like events going on. And so now let's get into the rewards. So when I sign up for the campaign, I'm on the wait list to know when they're available or when the Kickstarter is available. Um, and you're saying, tell friends and connect. Tell friends, more points, you can pay your discounts. And when I look at the rewards I could earn, get a friend, I get like some stickers, I can get five friends, I can get free samples, at 10, I can get free shipping, at 25, I get a buy one, get one free, and at 30, I get this swag bag. How did you decide on the reward level? Or did you pick a budget and you said, here's our budget for for rewards and then work backwards from the budget? Or yeah. is there some other method to what you did for figuring out five was the level for free samples, 10 is for free shipping. Like, how did you figure out what those rewards would be? Yeah, so I was actually uh, pretty methodical about it. Uh, initially, my budget was a dollar per lead. Right? So I'm willing to pay a dollar mm -hmm. per lead. So I looked at some of the cost structure. Okay, so if I am to, to ship free samples, on average, how much is shipping going to cost? Okay, and break that down. Okay, if I get five leads, then I break even, right, on this. Um, the stick were a, a way to get people an early win. As I played with different reward ideas, I wanted to make sure that the rewards aligned with the brand. Right? So I didn't want people to sign up 
just because he wanted a free iPad and didn't care about the brand, right? So if you're willing to share because you want free shipping, it means that you're potentially going to become a customer. So I made yep. sure that, so that that's how I thought about the rewards. Yeah, and you're following the best practices we always, we suggest to people, which is having an early win. So having something that like feels achievable to people, because if you started at 25, you're like, get 25 friends. Like most of us would be like, I can't get 25 people to do anything. The 25 is really reserved for people who are, if somebody hits that, you're probably going to do some other outreach with them because they're probably are an influence. Most people stop at like the two or three is like, that's like where you get the sweet spot of anybody can get two or three people to sign up with a little bit of effort. You can get five people to sign up, which is why I think it's probably where you hit the line for the free samples. But you did do that cost analysis too, which I think is valuable. Um, that's a great way of looking at it. And then, like you said at the end, just to repeat, lining it up with your brand. There's nothing in rewards where I would look at and be like, if I wasn't interested in the chips, like there's like nothing in rewards. Oh, yeah, I, like why would I do this? And then you stuck with you stuck with some pretty simple calls to action afterwards. So, you know, check out um, the invitation in your inbox and then spread the word with some sharing links. Um, you're not using, I think the only other action that you have that's not about sharing is sign up for text alerts. So when I click that, then I have to put my phone number in. Curious, what do you see as the opt-in for the text alerts there? Yeah. So honestly, some of that was just time in terms of launching. <laughs> I, if I'm to do it again, I want to give points for that. So it, it would be two or three points if they add their phone number. It's just become a, an energy focus. But interestingly enough, just I, and I was listening to one of the podcasts you had and, and somebody, well, just by having the text option in there, people signed up and people have mm -hmm. like just having it there. No other incentive is getting people to sign mm -hmm. up, which is further indicator of interest. Mm -hmm. My thing here was, I wanted to keep it simple. Something also that's helped is I have a nurture sequence that goes out. So if you sign up initially, right away, you get an email and I've connected Clavio to it. So you get an email, it thanks you, but it also starts to tell the story of the brand. So there, besides the thank you email, there's three more emails that go out and they're all designed to bring you back to the share page. I've even embedded a video at the bottom of every email that shows me going through and sharing a link to make it. Right. I want to remove friction. I want to make it easy. And that's what's worked. And you're on the right path there. I'm sure you might have heard because you said you've listened to some of the podcasts. Like even we've had people that have done Kickstarter campaigns and people have even sent out as part of their nurture sequence an introduction to Kickstarter, like telling people like, here's what Kickstarter is. And they're actually just help video for Kickstarter, really, but like focused on their brand. Like you're buying this in advance. You don't get the product until we ship or you get your refund. And they walk them through the process of what it's like Kickstarter and do you think there's a lot of value and the more you can do to educate people along the way because most people are not influencers most people are not brand connected online and so there's a lot of value in providing that educational material and I did notice that when I signed up got the um, the email because you say uh, welcome to but you keep it on message welcome to our community dad yes. and gracias for signing you're keeping the Spanglish going throughout the uh, throughout the, the newsletter that comes here and like you said there's a link to the rewards page and then there's the how to earn rewards watch the video goes through and the video is looks like you're using you just use loom to host it there so there's nothing really special about it that anybody else can't do there do you have stats from yeah i haven't checked i haven't i'm sure i do have stats from loom i haven't checked i'm debating between loom and youtube just because mm -hmm. some people it seems cause friction it, i don't know i've just heard a few people saying that they had trouble watching the video so maybe i'll test youtube mm -hmm. 
one thing that we're actually doing, we launched yesterday is we're starting our sequence for the Kickstarter. So email mm -hmm. one is about announcing it. And then you brought up the Kickstarter how-to video. Next week, I'm going to be doing one. But I'm actually going to be doing the same <laughs> thing. You're walking them yeah. through. People are going to have questions. Wait, I'm paying you up front for something I've never tasted. And I'm not getting it like a couple months later. So I have to address all these objections up front. And that's how I'm going to do it. Absolutely. Yeah. I think it's that smart to go ahead and address the objections. So what other types of content are you including in the nurture sequence? So like you mentioned the video, you mentioned that to Kickstarter. And this is the other question that people give us is if this campaign lasts for more than a couple, what should I be communicating to people along the way? So you teased it a little bit. You said you're telling the brand story. Um, so what does that mean for you into telling the brand story over a series of emails? It's really about the, it's about the why. Because in the end, I'm selling chips and people haven't tried these chips. So all there mm -hmm. is to tell is the, is to connect with the heart, right? Let's connect with the heart. So what prompted it? What does the word Santana mean? I live in the city of Santa Ana, but if you grew up here, it was Santana, which is like a feeling of this is ours, right? It's our community. So mm -hmm. I'm sharing all that. Even with the videos that are going out now, it's all videos that kind of, it's actually what our Kickstarter video is going to be, but snippets. I'm, I'm re-recording them, but they're snippets and just walking people through that whole journey. I want to show my face so that people can build trust. I'm sending them to my socials and on my socials, it's, it's very, I try not to be too polished on purpose. It's very like, Hey guys, it's me outside of a coffee shop. I just found this out. Oh my gosh, what are we going to do? <laughs> Let's do this together. And so it's that authenticity that I try to communicate and that's what's helping. So this is an interesting question and it's not totally related to, to the kickoff labs campaign or the Kickstarter. Cause I've just seen this debate recently about the value of personal brands versus brand brands. And I think you've got. You know, when I go to Santana, go to the website, the launch site, and I go to I look at it, it's a really strong brand. And we've talked about all the things you've done. You clearly have brand lines. You clearly have thought through all of this. And there's a really strong brand. Your face is not on the site specifically when you first go there. Obviously, then you're doing some videos and you mentioned on social. So are these socials, are they listed as Victor's social media account or is it Santana's social media account? So how are you labeling slash, you know, are you on more on the personal side where it's all about Victor or is it Victor is just a mouthpiece for Santana snacks? Yeah. So it's on the, on the Santana snacks Instagram and it's more of, I'm jumping in. Oh, quick update from Victor right here. Here's where I'm at. Even on our landing page, there is my picture, but it's, you have to scroll all the way to the bottom, right? So it's not like I'm not at the forefront because people don't know me yet. Think, sure. Once they've engaged, <laughs> then I can jump in and say hi. When I think back to our cookie company, what really worked and the feedback we got was that we were just two guys figuring this out and we were very transparent to the point where people could choose between three or four different cookie companies and they would choose us because of the connection we had. And I feel like that's mm -hmm. one of one of our assets, uh, even in this brand, the community, right? We are the community. So let's connect. And that's why I think mm -hmm. showing your face is, is important. Yeah. So it's under the brand account, you're trying to make sure that like you form a connection to the community personally exactly. is how you would just, yeah, that's, that's how I would recommend people do it. But people say, oh, it should all be under like a personal account because social media sites will reward Victor's Instagram account over Santana Snacks Instagram account when they're talking about promoting it or just algorithmically in the feed. 
Um, so I was curious how you approach that with a newer product launch that you're doing. Yeah, I just updates, very informal, very um, authentic is my approach. Cool. Yeah, I think that's probably is probably right for the, the for a new company. Um, and also just something else that people struggle with is the confidence to go out there as a new company and to be honest about where you're at. Hey, this is where we're at. We don't have a product yet. We're building this because some people want to project company image without realizing that I think you can use that as a strength as a small company. It's like you are not the big company. Like you are not Doritos. Hey, there is a person and a face and a story behind it that you can tell that's not come through in a Doritos Super Bowl ad. 100%. I think that vulnerability is a strength. If we're going to get a little philosophical, Ryan Holiday, Ego is the Enemy, one of my favorite books. And it's about so many times it's just we're scared. We want to be perceived a certain way that we project or pretend. And I've found that it takes more courage to say that you are scared or that you're anxious or that you don't know. And that's when you connect with people on an emotional level. And it isn't easy to do. Right? Sometimes I do get nervous. I do feel like I want to throw up before I post a video, <laughs> but, it, but it's worked out <laughs> in the end. Same here when I started doing the podcast and to this day, like I hit publish and I'm like, oh, I wish I hadn't said that. Yeah. I wish I'd said it a different way. And it's a challenge regularly. Cool. So the last question I always ask is there are tips you would give to somebody else thinking about like launching a similar product, maybe a food brand or a Kickstarter in a similar space doesn't have to be a competitor of yours and giving them advice. What haven't we talked about that you think is important for people to know about the process? I think that it's going to sound cliche, but it really is about fundamentals. For the longest time, I didn't believe that. I said, I thought, oh, there's a secret. There's a secret. There's a hack. There's a this, there's a that. But if I look at what's working is I know my target market. I know them and I, I've surveyed them. I know what the problem is. I'm creating a solution that's aligned with them. I'm reaching out to them in the right platforms. It's just this intersection of these three or four things. There's a trend, better for you snacks. There's also a trend in first generation Latinos that just the demographic, their purchasing power is exploding. So there is this intersection and that's what causes the growth, right? So mm -hmm. it's not a, the, the fancy about the sizzle. It's about fundamentals and being clear on who your customer is and serving them. You are intentionally leveraging a trend. There's a fancy, like a trend around like healthier eating, like thinking more about GMOs versus non-GMOs. Like that is a trend. You are connected to that trend, but you're not trying to go after, oh, we're everything to everyone in that trend. You're being very targeted and saying, no, it's that trend plus the trend of my community and that spending power and the amplification of um, working with each other to propel the growth that you're seeing so far. Exactly. You take that, you throw a little bit of digital marketing expertise, and then there you go. Cool. Victor, it's been great chatting with you. I feel like I've learned a lot and relearned some things listening to your answers. And I know people on the podcast are going to learn a ton from this interview. So thank you for spending the time. And I wish you the best of luck with the rest of the campaign. And I hope to be able to post an update when you guys have blown your Kickstarter goals away and, and I can get myself some chips, yeah. even if I'm not in your target market. You are going to love them, man. Uh, thanks, Josh. I'm a fan uh, and I've been a fan of Kickoff Labs, so I'm honored to be on today. Cool. Thank you.